Welcome to the Good Doctrine Podcast, where we believe that good doctrine establishes good living. I'm Sean Pasley. And I'm Josh Howard. We're on episode 59 of Good Doctrine, um, rounding out about a year and a half. We didn't take a summer break. Maybe no. we should take a fall break or a winter break. Why? Yeah, good point. No reason <laughs> no reason to take a break. Um, as we start off the episode, as always, if you've got questions from the episode, any thoughts or concerns, uh, or most especially topics you'd like for us to discuss, yeah. um, shoot us an email, gooddoctrinepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you're from our church, you can text us or, or holler at us. But um, if you're not from our church, don't you dare. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're deep in sin, you could Facebook us if you're <laughs> yeah. very deep in sin, but... Um, yeah, any way you'd like to contact us, though, um, the, as we like to always talk about, the uh, the theological well is deep. There's no shortage of things we could discuss, mm-hmm. either contemporary things or just good doctrine that just arises out of out of Scripture. Um, but it's always fun to hear like what you guys are working through and what, what you have found interesting lately and, mm-hmm. and things that we can discuss like that. You know, that. and something I just thought about, if, if we need to rehash, and I say rehash, that kind of a, has a negative connotation. If we need to go back over a particular topic... Um, you know, because maybe we didn't really address it fully. You know, let us know, and uh, and we'd like to we'd like to kind of flesh out more uh, if there's something missing. And you know, I don't know. For example, we did two back to back episodes on missions, or something. Uh, or you know, we did two back to back episodes on missions, and even had a guest. But if there's someone that you would like to hear from that's not us on a topic that we've already talked about, let us know. Maybe we can you know, do an interview, or maybe we can do a. Uh, uh, even have a guest in who mm-hmm. is someone who's local, so we'll do we've that. We've done. It seems to me we've done more episodes than not where we've had topics where we we mentioned like you know there's so much more we could talk about here. Yeah, there's yeah. so many more things we could develop. So, anywho, um, what's in the news, Sean? So, <laughs> I'll that, let you. I'll let you broach the topic. I'm glad that you punted this to me. Yeah. What, what we what we've decided to uh, talk about today that's in the news. You know, we've kind of avoided talking about a lot of the the roiling upheaval and stuff like that like that that's happening in the Southern Baptist Convention. But recently this week and, and I don't know if you want to pull up the article so that we can make direct quotes. But recently this week J.D. Greer and other leaders in the Southern Baptist life and then Which Southern, is the president right yeah, now. Yeah, J.D. Greer is the uh uh president of the Southern Baptist Convention right now. Um and, and you know, men like Ronnie Floyd and, and other leaders in Southern Baptist life uh, made comments and and uh, I mean really the comment was on the state of Southern Baptists relationship like relationship with with everything going on right now in the world uh, including our relationship with or our race relations racial reconciliation critical race theory um, pretty much everything everything that you're hearing in the news it's not limited just to secular news right uh, you know, religions all around the world are considering these things, but, uh, you know, especially Christianity and the largest denomination in the United States is Southern, the Southern Baptist Convention. And so uh, there, one, of the, one of the things that has really set people off, and this isn't new, this isn't new uh, what, what they proposed, but several very well-known leaders within the Southern Baptist Convention proposed that we change the name of the SBC to Great Commission Baptists because... Mm. The word Southern has a negative racist connotation. Yeah, so I've got the article. Man, several several iterations of that article came out. I've got the Washington Post pulled up. I mean, so it's even as it's such a big deal that the Washington Post is. Yeah, yeah. No, on this it. is this is Associated Press. Like they picked it up. Um, but this is the quote from J.D. Greer. He said, 
quote, Our Lord Jesus was not a white Southerner, but a brown-skinned Middle Eastern refugee, said Greer, unquote, uh, said Greer. And then he continued on. He said, Every week we gather to worship a Savior who died for the whole world, not one part of it. What we call ourselves should make that clear, unquote. So I think that the, I mean, to you and me, the weirdest part, not the weirdest part, the uh, contentious part for us about that comment was that he said that Jesus was a Middle Eastern refugee. Um, you know, it, to us personally, it doesn't matter. I, I I don't I don't place a whole lot of emphasis in what we call ourselves. You know, what 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 or what the denomination calls itself. It can be Great Commission Baptist. It can be Southern Baptist. It can be whatever whatever yeah. you want to call yourself that that coffee drinking baptist yeah, yeah. i, I understand baptist, that whatever. the name carries a uh, a legacy right I and mean, we 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 absolutely understand that there's a reason why you know countries don't just change their names all willy-nilly and there's a reason why we study history whether that be you know like political history or just history of organizations or whatever i mean i understand that if i said right now the Ku, Ku Klux Klan that carries a, a weight, that name carries a weight. Yeah. So if someone, because of that reason, wants to change the name of the denomination, I'm not fighting it. I don't care. You know, that's that's my, my personal well, opinion. Well, SBC kind of has a, I mean, wh- whether you whether you agree with what J.D. Greer said or not, you can recognize that the Southern Baptist Convention has a, a almost an inescapable history Absolutely. Of, of race relations in the United States. So the Negative, whole split, negative yeah, negatively. Race, yeah. So the whole split between Northern and Southern. Um, but, but the real question for the Christian is when you hear that quote from JD Greer, before you jump on Facebook and start ranting about something or, you know, yelling about something, let's just pause for a minute um, and prayerfully consider what does scripture lead us to do here? So like Sean said, if scripture leads us to change, in what ways does Scripture lead us to change? Not not society, not pressures, but like if we feel biblically that this is what we're led to do as Christians, let's justify that, and let's also consider how much it can, we should consider changing. Um, one of the things that a lot of people have questioned in these type of things is how far must one change an organization like this? You know, at what point is is the redress acceptable? So, is the name change going to be sufficient? Or should a complete overhaul of the convention and maybe, be maybe needed? that's how people um, are responding now? You know why they're responding so so uh, negatively, so vociferously. But yeah, I never get to use that one. I thought I'd yeah, throw sure. It in. But I mean, yeah, you've got people that are worried. A lot of people are just attached to the name and don't want the name changed. Okay, you know, well and good. Then you've also got some other people who are just asking. You know, is that going to solve it? In other yeah, words, like, yeah. is you know, if 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 the name in fact is a problem. Do we stop there or do we keep going? I think it's I think it's a valid question for churches to work through, but yeah. don't not to work through on Facebook. Work through it with each other and honestly looking to Scripture. If we had a name like Sean said, if we have a you know our name is the cheese eating Baptists and that offends a huge portion of our country for some reason, it's worth at least looking at as Christians. Should we do something that offends others? But it's also worth looking at: is this going to actually solve these problems that are trying to be addressed? And I, I think that I was kind of uh, maybe minimizing it by saying, you know, I don't care uh, what the name is, but but I, you know, I, I know get, what you mean, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because. Um, yeah. I do care that it's. I don't want it to be the cheese-eating Baptist because that's silly. But I also, if it was, so what? Anyway, but but that's not the real problem for Would me. Would a rose by any other name still have thistles? Whatever the, I don't know. Is that the poison song? No, <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm oh, not a man. poet. Anyway, this episode's ruined. Um, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, 
we're gonna play that as the outro music and then get sued yeah um yeah <laughs> but uh uh, the the real problem for me. No, no. The, why are we giggling? This is important. It is the the real problem uh, with this statement wasn't we need to be called the Great Commission Baptist because that's who we are and and and, and Southern has a negative connotation. Okay, fine. I'll follow that. Um, you know, at I, least for argument's sake. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that that's fine. But it's just this kind of copying and pasting our current current uh, cultural climate, current cultural context onto the Bible and, you know, where... we are talking about the Palestinian refugee yeah, like, comparison. Yeah, well, I mean, because, you know, when that was happening, where there were people coming from Syria and, 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 and people coming from the Middle East, you know, because of war and, you know, legitimate reasons, people were trying to escape their situation, and then it was made into this big political hoopla, you know, around the entire world, and then some Christians kind of rose up and said, well, Jesus himself well, was a refugee, the, so... We're, and we, man, we could have made this into a whole podcast episode. This is supposed to be our short in the news segment, but this is worth talking about just for for a second. The 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 thing about calling Jesus a Middle Eastern refugee or a Palestinian in this case, Palestinian refugee. Number one, it's just a crass comparison. Yeah, Jesus yeah. was Jesus. Jesus was God. Yeah, he was not his his anyway his incarnational ministry to to compare it to a a refugee status is. I've never seen that go well from any person who has used that illustration. It always does an injustice to who Christ is. Now, this is the thing about what Sean was saying. If you see, I remember, oh, my You're word. You're explaining for me a lot, and I really appreciate it. Cause <laughs> well, I mean, it, anyway. No, I remember they had, a, they had a boat that had capsized off, I think it was the coast of Greece. So it was a bunch of refugees yes, from like Syria that. or something, and there was a little boy who had drowned. Any Christian, if your heart was not moved, uh, you should check your heart. Every one of us should have been grief-stricken that, you know, forget the politics for a moment. And I'm not saying the politics are unimportant. But at the same time, you have people fleeing something bad who are dying uh, in a refu- in a refugee-type status. That should break all of our hearts, and we should want to do something for those people. Um, but to take that and try to say, well, Jesus was a refugee— you can reach a biblical conclusion without twisting Jesus into just a refugee illustration. How about love love your neighbor? How about, yeah, yeah. you know, plead the cause of the downtrodden? Like, there's plenty of biblical reason that you should feel something but maybe, for those people. I, that's right. You know what I mean? I, absolutely, it, absolutely. But maybe the reason why people say that is because in the in the States, we've so confused political parties with just being inherently Christian. So when a political party says... No, we don't want to take refugees, or, or we want to keep immigrants out, or this or that, whatever. Then that is seen as the Christian view. So yeah. someone might be tempted, like someone like J.D. Greer might be tempted to say, "Hey, look, all you Republicans, remember that Jesus was a refugee. So these refugees, yada yada yada." Even though a Christian shouldn't as- ascribe to a political party as their rule of faith and practice, their so primary to speak. identification. Yeah, we are yeah. Christians. And so, well, like, this is this is pertinent in an election year, and yeah, we're well, we're a month and a half away from, sadly, many Christians setting their Christian identity aside in favor of a political party. All this to say, uh, J.D. Greer, you know, he said he was picked up by the Associated Press. This wasn't just in Baptist life, uh, to the point where, you know, a fellow pastor here uh, was at the gym, and and someone from a different denomination who has their share of problems. You know, the denomination does came up and said, "Y'all, Southern Baptists are really messed up, aren't you?" Because this is now getting out to the Christian I, world. Yeah, Christian. Well, not just the Christian world, the world at large. And you know, I can't help but think that 
It, it doesn't really matter. If he said something negative, like, we're going to keep Southern because that's our heritage, it would have just been promoted in a negative way. And the so, issue is not with J.D. Greer. And, and I hope nobody listening to this thinks that we're going that way. Like, I'm not, I'm not trying to say J.D. Greer is a terrible person, and we're not trying to say... What we are trying to point out is the issues that affect the entirety of the Christian faith um, and the way we present ourselves to the world, um, we should be very thoughtful and very slow to speak and very uh, biblical in, in our responses oh, right. to that. And right. that's what we're trying to draw with this um, this latest thing. That's how we should be considering that news article in particular is, yeah. is this our biblical response? Is it going to accomplish what we're saying and hoping it's yeah, going to accomplish? Just changing the um, name. And yeah, then... is this what Scripture leads us to do? And, and if so, then fine and good, and if not, then, you know, go from there. Yeah. So, um, anyway, you can look this article up. It's you, you can really just type in J.D. Greer and Southern Baptist. It'll probably be the first thing that you see. You know, New York Times has run, run, run it and Washington Post and other places. If you, I think the Christian Post has even had a, had a little thing on it. And lots of people got lots of stuff to say about it. Um, I just think you know, in this regard that it's, it's a statement that's based in the current really like politically charged climate that, uh, it, it, not, I'm not saying anything about the person who made the statement, but a lot of times us Christians feel like we're on the defense all the time and we have to justify our Christianity to the world, which I mean, I don't know about you, but I do not feel that way. I don't, I don't have to justify what the Bible says to the you know, unbelieving world, but a lot of people in, in positions of power and positions of leadership um, who are, you know, who ha- have a have a greater reach than I could probably ever, I don't want to say ever hope to, but but I, I'll never probably achieve that level of notoriety that, you know, seminary presidents, presidents and presidents of conventions uh, achieve. You know, they kind of, they might feel an extra bit of burden to, to address the culture. Yeah. So. The public square, so to speak. Yeah. That, that being said, I... You know, I don't know what I would have said. Probably wouldn't have said that, but um, I think it's worth thinking about and worth considering from a doctrinal and a, a biblical point of view. Yeah. So that being said, uh, our topic today, which is going to be, this is kind of going to be a series that we've decided to run. And we um, said it was going to be a short episode series. Like this is going to be a series of shorter episodes. Yeah. Judging from our intro, that may not be the case. Well, you know, uh, we'll see. maybe this will be, but uh, I kind of want to do a series on ancient heresies. Uh, the reason why is because there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that we talk about. Uh, there's a lot of entire podcast episodes that we've had that have been addressed thousands of years ago. Yeah. That that these are things that are not new. Um, and the not new part. So if you're if you're if you hear that ancient heresies and you think, well, I'm not a history buff. You don't have to be a history buff. If yeah. you've been alive for two, three, four years, you've probably witnessed these heresies that have been decried by generation after generation of Christians for 2,000 years. They've popped back up again in some form or fashion, yeah. and people have been spouting them. Um, heresies don't seem to go away. Yeah, and, and, th- and that's the that's the, the key thing. So when we—you um, might have heard us talk uh, about uh, church councils and, and, and early church history and, church, and the church fathers and, and things like that. Even when we say heretics, that sounds like an old word. But these are these are beliefs that that came about right after Jesus walked the earth, right during. Even yeah, we're going to talk about yeah. one of them, not today, but one of them that was around while Jesus was on the earth. And uh, these are things that were all addressed uh, by the Christian Church at some point in history, but are still cropping up. Yeah. Are still some of these, like the ones we're talking about today, are a part of major religions, even religions that call themselves uh, Christian. So. Before we, we we jump into that, I do want to define very very clearly 
what heresy is, or I want to have it defined, and so Josh, I'll punt that to you. But but the reason why this is important is because heresy is a is a very strong, very strong word, uh, and we don't we don't uh, accuse just things that we disagree with uh, as heresy. Yeah. If you think that the church should have a uh, an electric sign out, you know, like a like a bill electric billboard that tells people the service times. And I don't think that. I think it should be a a nice stone feature. That isn't. You're not a heretic. That's that's not what we're talking about. So what is heresy? Can you define that for us? Yeah. Um. So first of all, it's not you know a dirty word. Heresy is a is a word that's it's it's essentially the opposite of orthodoxy. Um. And orthodoxy with a little o there. So if orthodoxy is the standard faith and practice of the Christian Church, you know Christian Church small c small c for church that is um the practice of the christian church and the faith that we derive from scriptures heresy would be a departure from those standard faith and practices that we derive from scripture so christians have always recognized certain truths and especially certain core truths from scripture and then derived our christian practice from those truths yes heresy is a departure from those things Usually in, in kind of the common usage of heresy, though, we don't just throw heresy at, at small issues. And when I say small, I want to kind of drag you back to a discussion that we had. I guess the first time we had it was with Lawson Harlow on here, didn't we, about doctrine? Yeah. yeah. So we, we talked about kind of three levels, and these are man-made levels, but kind of three levels of looking at, at doctrine. You have dogma, which is like the core tenets of the faith. Um, God is three in one. Christ mm-hmm. is Lord. You know, the, the non-negotiables. Then you have doctrine. Doctrine is usually what you see on like a denominational level. Uh, you know, we practice credo baptism, which means we believe that only believers should be baptized. Now, that doesn't mean we don't consider others who disagree with us as outside the Christian faith. We wouldn't say it's heresy, but we would still say, well, you it's can't. vitally important. Yeah, you can't practice. It's so important you can't be in our church as a member here because we really hold these dear. And then you got that third level, which is not unimportant stuff. It's just the stuff that we realize we will have divergence on, even within the local body. Yeah. So stuff like, you know, what you believe about the second coming of Christ, exactly how that's going to, you know, pan out. What you believe about, even even issues with like creationism, um, mm-hmm. what you believe about creationism. Those are issues that we can have a little bit of divergence within the local body, um, and yet we're not going to break fellowship over those issues. Yeah, yeah. So when we talk about heresy, usually that's that's kind of what we reserve for those those main categories. I denials would say, of the core tenets of the Christian yeah, faith. Yeah, and and the way that I've said it is that if if you if someone believes in a teaching and they cannot know the biblical Jesus, or, or if they be- adhere to this teaching and they cannot be saved by believing in this teaching, that is a heresy. Well, and, and, and I'm glad you defined it that way, because when you look at the heresies of the ancient church, which is what we're about to be doing this series, most of them are about the person of Jesus. Yes. And yeah. that's not by you know coincidence. It's because that is, if you if you have Christ wrong, if you, if you are not, like Sean said, worshiping Christ as he tells us of himself and as he is... Uh, then you're not you're not you're not a Christian by by default. So yeah. those are the core, and that's heresies. where the expression a "damnable heresy" comes from. Because if you believe in a thing, but because of your wrong belief in that thing, you might go to hell. Then then that's 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 not just problematic, but it's it, it deserves correcting yeah. immediately. When you look at when you look at the ancient church, so for example, I study eschatology a lot. Anybody that's listened to this for a while knows that. 
Um, eschatology is just that theology of the end times or the final things, you know, how Christ returns especially is what people like to talk about. But when you think about eschatology, people always want to know, well, what did the early church fathers believe about eschatology? Mm-hmm. You can't find a whole ton. The reason you can't find a whole ton is not because they didn't have biblical convictions about those things. It's because for the first couple of hundred years after Christ, the church, and especially those who wrote and taught in the church, were consumed with defending who Christ is. Yeah. So if they had beliefs like you know on eschatology, they were too busy defending the person and work of Jesus Christ and so they may not have even said anything about their eschatological beliefs. It's just when you read those first couple of centuries, the major fights of the church, the major, uh, you know, defenders of the Christian faith, these were all swirling around that same issue of who is Jesus and what did he do in his yeah. work. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, and to be fair, a lot of the early church just believed that Jesus was going to come back in their lifetime, too. So there's that. Sean, we're going to have to do a <laughs> episode part two on eschatology. Well, uh, yeah, we are. But, um, you know, so today we're talking about uh, Arianism, yeah. which is probably the, not the oldest, but it starts with an A, so it's first on the list. Uh, but today we're going to talk about Arianism. Now, when I hear, when I first heard about Arianism, I was like, wait a second, so white supremacy was like really popular in the Middle East in yes. the first century? No, it's not Arianism with a Y. It's Arianism with an I, and it was uh, named after a man who was a bishop in Alexandria, Egypt, and uh, his name was Arius. And so he proposed that that Jesus was a created being, uh, that his, through his studies of the Gospels and and Scriptures, that uh, it seemed to him that Jesus was not co- uh, co-eternal with God and 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 com- always coexistent with God the Father, but that Jesus, the, the the man Jesus, was a created being, and he was actually created after God um, instituted time. Uh, and, uh, and which I know we're gonna we're gonna talk about you know the biblical you know examples and stuff of this, but just to, again define the the orthodoxy from the heresy here. The orthodox belief of the Christian Church is that we worship a triune God, three persons in one. One God in three persons, yeah. that they are co-equal, co-eternal, co-majestic, co-everything. Yeah, yeah. Um, but that they are expressed in one Godhead. And not only that, but they are of not of similar substance. Like, you know, we, we talked about uh, in our Christmas episode, St. Nicholas, you know, he was kind of around during this time. Um, but he is of the same substance. Yeah. Homo Oiseus? Homo Oiseus. Oiseus. Versus Homo Oiseus. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Uh, I'll never remember it. But, um, yeah, so he is of the same sub, he is consubstantial with the Father. And that's, this is, this is, we're talking about dogma here. This is who Jesus is. Is, uh, you know, was he a created being or was he, uh, was he always? Is, is he also God? Um, you know, some of the texts that Arius, uh, looked at and and determined this view from because we're going to be fair to these heretics and we're not going to say they just came up. <laughs> we're we're gonna we're gonna be fair and 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 not just accuse them of coming up with some sort of fantasy, but sure they're reading scripture. Yeah, and so you know he looked at stuff like John uh, four six where it talks about Jesus. Uh, you know, this is John, the story of the woman at the well. Jesus was tired. They were walking through the desert. It says, uh, Jesus wearied as he was from his journey was sitting beside the well, and so he says, well. Clearly, he's a he's a man. Clearly, he has you know uh, human characteristics. He can't. God can't tire. And, and also, you know, in Matthew twenty four thirty six, I think we've talked about this too when we talk about the uh, 
return of the Lord. You know, he said, Jesus himself says, but concerning the day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. And this is referring to uh, his second coming. Right. So he said, you know, and so he's saying, wait a second, Jesus can be tired? Jesus can not know when he's coming back? So he can't possibly be consubstantial, or he can't possibly be the same as God. And one of the, one of the you know, Sean mentioned, you know, kind of being fair to the heretics, um, one of the things that he's struggling with here is the fact that there is no earthly equivalent to Jesus. Yeah. Jesus was unique because he was God in flesh. There's nothing to compare him to. So when we go to those texts, they're supposed to be challenging a little bit to us because we're reading about something that has no earthly equivalent. I've never had a friend who was anything similar to this that I can compare this to. This is outside of our normal realm. Yeah. Um, what makes it a heresy, though, is that we don't accept the fact that this is something unique and divine. We instead try to then start limiting who the person of Jesus Christ is, which yeah, is that's what a good you're point. getting to. Yeah, and, th- and that's what Arius is doing. He's And it's a, it's a rationalization of sorts. Right. Um, you know, he looks at the Scripture and he says, okay, well, these are the divine texts. These were uh, divinely inspired and revealed to the apostles. I believe that. Um, and so, you know, I'm going to submit to this, these texts, but it's from an improper hermeneutic or a, a bad reading, a bad understanding of the text. And, a and, uh, we, we always talk about how you read, um, uh, scripture through a lens. Right. And so he's essentially reading this through the lens of rationalism or, or, you know, reason trying to make sense of something that does not make sense to our finite earthly minds. The Trinity can't be compared to water, you know, ice, steam, and, and then liquid. It can't be compared to a three-leaf clover. The Trinity is unique. Yeah, and it's it's also a reason, you know, we say doctrine matters all the time. Obviously, we, you know, have this have this whole podcast is centered around good doctrine, but it's, it's why just reading my Bible and believing what it says, I'm going to say it's insufficient, but I don't want you to mishear me. What I'm not saying is that your Bible is insufficient as a rule of faith and practice that God informs his church and his believers through it, that the Holy Spirit works through it to convict and to admonish and and all of those other things. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that for us to just sit down and just read Scripture and grab things as we want to grab them and not deal with things that we don't want to deal with and read Scripture in such a way as, as Sean's going to bring up here in a minute is contradictory to itself because Jesus does make clear that he is oh, God. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we do those things, but we're still just quote unquote reading scripture and believing what it says, that's insufficient. What we are called to do is to come underneath scripture and be informed by scripture. Part of that means building good doctrine. It means yeah, wrestling yeah. with not just the parts we like, but all of scripture and not just having contradictory views in scripture, but understanding that if it's contradictory, it's our own error and not God's error. This means working through what nobody really likes to do in this day and age, and that's working through good biblical doctrine mm-hmm. from Scripture. Yeah, so that's, that's just good. my plug for good theology. No, that's good. And, you know, this is something that uh, currently I'm taking a you know Baptist history class, and one of the things that I'm reading in our, our, our text for uh, the Baptist history is that, you know, while we do say sola scriptura, and we say that our only rule of faith and practice, it's not, you know, we don't, we don't have this like three-legged stool of, of authority. We don't we don't follow the popes and we don't follow tradition as our authority. We follow scripture alone as our authority. But that doesn't mean that we read scripture in isolation right. of church history like we're talking about now or, you know, just godly wisdom through men and women that he's put in our lives. You know, we don't say 
well, I'm just going to only read the Bible and nothing else, and I don't have to listen to anything else, and everything else is wrong. So right. Scripture alone, but not in isolation. Yes, Yep. So uh, if our if my professor for that class is listening, know that I used the a, text. A plus. <laughs> I, for one, would give you bonus points. Yeah, this better There's be extra plug. credit. There's your plug, But uh, anyway, uh, you know, kind of a second, and we're, we're going to try to get through this a little quicker, but uh, kind of the second part of Arianism, and I thought this was really important to point out because I corrected you, uh, you know, like God forbid that ever really happened again, but you said <laughs> something about Jesus being, you said, firstborn. And he oh, said it like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. He was firstborn of the dead. And, you know, in Colossians 1, he was the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 firstborn. And, you know, just, just because the way that we say that is important because right. the implication in the Scripture— You're just bragging on the fact that you corrected me. Yeah, it was, it was great. <laughs> uh, the, the implication in the Scripture there is not that Jesus was physically born, exactly. but that he holds a place of preeminence in the universe, yeah. just like— uh, the the ancient world would have understood a firstborn child or firstborn son would have held preeminence in the family. Right. Jesus holds preeminence in all of creation. Yeah. Now, this is a big part of Arianism because Arianism and Arius himself said, well, it says firstborn. That means that Jesus was born. But no. And, and, and <laughs> no. Be, because, you know, one, you're, you're, uh, we talked about contradicting with scripture. Right. It, we're just kind of using tweezers and, and picking out what, what we, um, what we want to, to support our cause here. You know, Mr. Arius, who's dead for 1500 years, but, uh, let's look at how scripture does refute it. And I, I just want to bring in a couple of verses that I think are very, very clear, mm-hmm. but this is in John. So he said, you know, in John four, uh, Arius says in John four, well, Jesus says he's tired, but four chapters later, Jesus, he's talking to Pharisees, he's talking to the crowd, and this is one of the most explicit, uh, one of the most explicit. It caused the Pharisees to tear their robes. Yeah. And this wasn't because they were macho man Randy Savage and, and they weren't just hulking out, tearing their clothes because they felt like it. It was because to them this was blasphemy. Right. So when in John eight fifty eight, Jesus says to them, truly, truly, I say to you, which is, that's not just some special Jesus talk. This is like... Listen up. Yeah, I mean, I mean. Yeah, listen up. This is this is important. What I'm about to say. Before Abraham was, so they were talking about. You're not better than our father Abraham, are you? Which you know we know the Jews and their love of genealogies and and love of the 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 what do you call it? the patristic. Anyway, their love of the you know the Moses and Abraham. Oh, the patriarchs. Patriarchs. Yeah. yeah. yeah why did I'm I say sorry. patristic? Anyway, uh, their love of Abraham. But he says, "Hey, I tell you right now, before Abraham was." I am, capital I am. And then the Pharisees tore their robes. And this isn't just Jesus using bad grammar, right? right? Before Abraham was, I am. He, we say uh, emulated here when Moses is, not emulated here, he's he's referring back to when Moses was uh, confronted by God, you know, through the burning bush. And Moses says, who shall I tell them sent me? You know, who shall I, you're telling me to go to Pharaoh and, and to say this, who shall I say sent me? And he says, I am. Yeah. So he's saying, before Abraham was, I'm God. Yeah. A- Abraham is nothing compared to me. Now, to the Pharisees, to the Jews, this was monumental. This was clothes tearing, you know, stressed out dude. Uh, you know, whatever. Like they, they, they attempt. It says right after this, they attempted to stone him, and then he slipped away into the crowd. Which should be an indicator, by the way, if you're doing good right. biblical work. They wanted to kill him. It, it it they knew what he was saying. Yeah, Jesus made very clear one one of the common. <laughs> what he was saying. You know, our our current culture, atheist, Christian, whatever you 
uh, self-identify as, you know, we saw from the state of theology, our current culture is biblically illiterate by any stretch of the imagination. And you constantly get bombarded with people saying, well, why do you, you say you're Christian? You say you worship Jesus, but Jesus never said he's God. Here's like the very clearest uh, uh, thing where he says he is God. Now, and, 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 you know, here's another clear one. Two chapters later, John 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. So, I'm not sure why Arius, who who clearly like respected the scriptures and clearly got his cues, you know, so he said from the scriptures. I don't know why, you know, he didn't read like a few chapters later and see this. I don't know. I don't know what his misinterpretation was, uh, or why he misinterpreted it this way. But these are just a couple of very clear: Jesus is God. Jesus Himself claiming to be God, and not only that. But the witnesses, and I'm no evidentialist, uh, you know, I don't stake my claim in like what I can see and, and what has actually happened. I trust the Lord, but not that they don't, but anyway, that just went on. Uh, <laughs> I, but, but what I'm saying is we do see evidence that they understood that he was saying he's God. Yeah. So we should believe yep. that he's God. Yes. So uh, now that, that, the, the, that this is biblical refutation for this, but, but not only is there biblical refutation that we can say, well, okay, so I understand that Arius was teaching a false doctrine, that, that, that he was teaching something that, that can prevent people from being saved. Because if we don't believe that Jesus is God, then what reason do we have to repent of our sins and believe in Jesus as Lord? And that that lordship, the lordship of Christ, is a huge, huge proponent of salvation through faith alone. We not only do we believe that uh, Jesus died on the cross, but but what again? What reason would he have to die on the cross if he wasn't God? How could he pay for sins if he himself wasn't God? And I think I think Arius's argument was that that he was created for redemption. Oh, so that, that, he's like a unique tool, right? Or so God made him because Arius struggled with those those texts, for example, in Colossians that says. Um, you know, everything was made through him and for him. So yeah, Arius agreed yeah. with those because he saw them in Scripture. Uh, but one of his things was that, well, God made him to be the agent of creation. Right, right. So the modern groups, and I think you're going to talk about that in a minute, but the modern sure. groups that would ascribe to essentially a modern version of Arianism, uh, that's how they would view Jesus. Not that he was eternally God, but that he was the first being that God the Father created and then he made everything, and then he was the firstborn. So it's 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 a separation in, in eternity past. But what they're denying is what makes God God. Yeah, exactly. So when like like Sean brought up, and I, I, there's not a whole lot I can add to this, but what Sean brought up when he spoke those same words as Moses, and if you if you flip back to where Moses walked on what God said was holy ground because God's presence dwelt there and God's revealed name. Um, that you know we we pronounce as Yahweh in in English. God gave him his revealed name. Jesus echoes those same words. Jesus makes clear who he is, and it's not a created being. For any created being to refer to themselves as the eternal God is blasphemy. Absolutely, um, and deserving of that clothes tearing and stoning right. so according to us, Old Testament. So laws. for us to to deny, I mean, and this is just one of the examples. There's many New Testament examples of why Jesus is God eternal God, fully God. But this one example, if the Arians were correct, then we should join in with the Pharisees in this passage ah. and want to stone him for blasphemy. Yeah. And God forbid we find ourselves in that in that predicament. So yeah. um now not and that that's really good. That's really helpful. But you know the early church and when I say early church, I'm talking before 
this was in 325 we have recorded where the 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 first council of Nicaea, which you might have heard of the Nicene Creed uh, listener, uh, came about. So this is one of the earliest creeds in all of Christendom is the Nicene Creed. But this council of Nicaea addressed the issue of Arianism and de- declared it a heresy. Now, the Council of Nicaea went on for a while. It was multiple councils and, and multiple gatherings. And, we and, and there's been T-shirts made of Athanasius famously punching Arius in the face <laughs> yeah. at the Council of Nicaea. Yeah. A good friend bought me one one time. So, um, <laughs> it's me. It was me. <laughs> um, so uh, we, uh, you know, we don't, we don't place our hope in councils and church tradition, right. but but this is important uh, for the Christian faith to recognize what Christians of the path uh, past have um, concurred and and not decided, but just uh, agreed together with what is Christian doctrine, what is uh, biblically sound and yeah, doctrinally sound. Biblically emphasis on the biblical. Yeah, so absolutely. they didn't come together and decide what their tradition would be. They reflected yes. on Scripture together. Yeah. God led and guided them together and they confessed what Scripture had already made clear. Right, right. Yeah. So the, the the Nicene Creed is specifically it's it's really just Trinitarian. So I'm gonna I'm gonna read it. We believe in one God. Okay, good start. The Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord, Jesus Christ, that word Lord again, the Son of God, begotten of the Father, the only begotten, that is, of the essence of the Father, God of God. So when I use that term, concept, or homoousius, mm-hmm. ousius. Light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, consubstantial with the Father. So there's the refutation of, of Arianism. By whom, this Jesus, by whom all things were made, both in heaven and on earth, who for us men and for our salvation came down and was incarnate and was made man. He suffered, and the third day, and on the third day he rose again, ascended into heaven. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, and in the Holy Spirit. Okay, so this is the Trinitarian doctrine put into a creed, which is called the Nicene Creed. And this creed was essentially written to refute the heresy of Arianism. So Arianism is, uh, when, we, when we talk about this, it can sound like, okay, duh. Like, I, I'm a Christian. I've been listening to your podcast. Um, you know, I love you guys. You're so special to me. Uh, come, you know, sign my Bible. I, I understand that all of you guys are screaming that. But you have heard of modern day Arians, right? Arianists? Arians. 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 Uh, who may they be, uh, Brother Josh? Well, I mean, I think, I think the clearest example would be Jehovah's Witnesses yeah. that most of us would be familiar with. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, and I will be the first to admit my ignorance of Jehovah's Witness doctrine, but what I do know is that they confess a lot of the same things that historically Arian heresies have confessed, that Jesus is a created being, that although he has a special place and they can define that special place however they want to, it is not the co-eternal triune God of Christian faith. Yeah. So that would probably be the one that that most people, and, and, and that would be the reason that most people have, if you've ever run into Jehovah's Witnesses and you may not have known where they're coming from, a lot of the things will sound similar, and they may even refer to verses that you're familiar with. They say they're Christians. Sure, and this is this is kind of at the heart of that. Um, one of the most damaging things to the Jehovah's Witnesses has been, you know, the modern internet. 
Um, the fact that people can get online now and see what they believe. Yeah. And just, and, and wrestle with Christian doctrine and realize the historic confessions of the Christian faith. And even past that, just biblical, good biblical theology, working through scripture and seeing what Christ actually said about himself. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't think biblical literacy is just a plague of one, one sector. I think most people, including Jehovah's Witnesses, don't know much of what scripture actually says. Well, you know, the new world translation of the Bible, which is the Jehovah's Witness translation of the Bible edits the clear texts of it edits not not the greek but just the english the, the easiest example is in john 1 1 right um and and it's it's one of my favorites to pick on but it's it john 1 1 says that uh in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god well their translation will translate that last little phrase the word was a god and yes. the reason they do that is because there's no definite article which we translate in english as the um, you know, like the teacher instead of a teacher, the, the is the definite article. There's not a definite article listed there in the Greek. Well, if you read the Greek, it is very plain why that is. I mean, number number one, it's a predicate nominative phrase mm. in the Greek. This just really blesses me. I know it does, but I want our <laughs> listeners to be aware this is nothing new. If somebody yeah, pops oh, up on you and says, man, they mistranslated John 1-1, literally. Yeah, we're going to see Greek, Facebook posts about this. Greek now. scholars for millennia have been doing this work. It's yeah. not new. It's a predicate nominative. And if you need an example, go to John 1, I think it's 1-5. It's like four verses later. The exact same phrase is used again, and they translate it as God in that one yeah. in the New World Translation. Yeah, um, it's 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 nothing that you should should be shaken over, but it is them essentially grasping and trying to make uh, trying to make scripture line up with something scripture does not say, which yeah. is Jesus was not fully God. Absolutely. And the only way you can do that is to make it say something it doesn't say. Yeah, and 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 here's why that's this is dangerous because they say they're Christians. They say they read the same Bible as us. Um, you know, if you ever had a Jehovah's Witness come to your door, they don't. This is not like step one of Jehovah's Witness witnessing is saying, hey, oh, are you a Christian? You think Jesus is God? Well, we're Christians too, but Jesus isn't God. Like, that's not, you know, when you talked about the invention of the internet and people have more information, this is kind of stuff they leave till, you know, you're inaugurated in the church or whatever. Uh, I don't know what they call it. I'm not familiar with Jehovah's Witness either. But the same goes for Mormonism, because Mm. Mormons believe that Jesus was a created being. Which we don't run into as much down here, but my word, that's prevalent in other areas of the country. Yeah. Um, Um... well, Mormons will say that uh, Jesus was not only was he just a or yeah, yeah, just a created being, but that he was a human who like achieved godhood. So in a sense, this is Arianism. Not very not as explicitly as Jehovah's Witness, but in a sense, you know, believing that Jesus is a created being. Now, I have uh, people that I love very much that will look at Mormons and look at Jehovah's Witness and see how they they go door to door and they evangelize and they want to tell people about salvation and they'll say, "Man, that's what real Christianity is." When in fact, you know, looking at their doctrine, they're led to do these things because of their false Christianity. Mm. Uh, this is not Mormons will not attain salvation because they have perverted who Christ is. Jehovah's Witness, who do not believe that Jesus is God, cannot repent and uh, call on Jesus as Lord. So these are damnable heresies, and we shouldn't be fooled by uh, by just because they're nice. You know, we that's, that's another podcast episode about Christian niceness and and just us thinking that being nice is the eleventh commandment or whatever. But uh, we shouldn't be fooled into thinking that Jehovah's Witness and and Mormonism is Christianity and uh, and and is uh, what's the word? It, it's harmless. Now. 
uh, Mormonism isn't really like a one to one. It's not. It's not so easily comparable to Arianism. Jehovah's Witnesses is, is more so. That's but, almost on the nose. Yeah, and and as we go as we go on down the line with talking about these ancient heresies, you'll see that how sometimes it seems like it's splitting hairs. But you know, in the in the history in the ancient church uh, and in the history of Christianity, a lot of these divergences were. You know, sometimes it was like, okay, I can concede that Jesus wasn't created uh, after God instituted time, but he was created before God instituted time, and so then that then they call that a different heresy. And and if you're if you're getting if you get bogged down in the terms, for example, if I was just to rattle off, I, I, I jotted down just a couple of terms that we might go through. We might not, but we might. Um, this is some of the terms like docetism, subordinationism, modalism, my favorite one to pronounce, eutychianism. Mm. Um, there's a lot of different heresies that sound very similar. And so you might be listening and think, well, why can't we just say it's wrong belief, it's heresy, and then just leave it at that? Uh, it's because to recognize the differences and the nuances helps us to better defend the differences and nuances of Orthodox Christian faith. Many of these heresies sprung out of small group Bible studies, or at least in the modern era. Um, And I could start pointing fingers at some of these modern examples of them that sprung out of Bible-believing, Bible-teaching churches that had a one Sunday school teacher who was teaching an error, and it exploded into what's now a worldwide heresy. That's why the differences are important. Mm -hmm. It's not just splitting hairs. Um, It's very important who Jesus is and how we can avoid falling into historical untruths. Yeah, that's good. So that that was Arianism. Um, I, I I don't want to. We say hope it. you enjoyed it. <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> no. Uh, I mean, hopefully you learned something. Hopefully that hopefully this is uh, kind of revealing to you that that if someone says something wacky, it's you can pretty much be guaranteed that someone else thousand years ago said that same wacky thing. I mean, like Ecclesiastes says, there's nothing new under the sun. Right. There's no ancient heresy that isn't being perpetuated today. There's there's nothing today that wasn't perpetuated thousands of years ago. We shouldn't be so scared of addressing and this is why we want to do this, so that we can kind of equip our, you know, listeners and our church with how to address um weird, weird viewpoints. Right. Um because and we all know people who they're Christians, but maybe they're they're just not as learned, or they don't they don't have a a real firm grasp on their Bible yet, and so they might have some of these kind of weird and wacky views. Uh, and you know, granted, they're not doing it maliciously, but it would be good for us to know how to engage with people who have these these views and, and correct them and uh, guide them biblically. You mm-hmm. know, in kindness, but but guide them biblically. Yeah. So are there any resources on just heresies in general that, that you've been exposed to or that you would like to recommend? You know, there's one, and I, I did not think of this until you just said that, honestly. There's a book called The Universe Next Door. Hmm. Um, it's by, I think the guy's name is Sire, S-I-R-E. Um, but it's it's a book, and it's it's kind of like a textbook, but it's a book that introduces you to different world religions and world ways of thinking. Hmm. I don't know if that's going to exactly be on the nose for this podcast, but it was really encouraging to me because, for example, if you're unfamiliar with the Hindu faith or what do Buddhists actually believe or you know what does Islam actually teach, it introduces you to a lot of those things. And I think it's in like a seventh edition now or something like that. So it's just a book that introduces you to world religions and world thoughts and worldviews that other people have that you don't have um, to give you a little bit of outlook on like, where is that person coming from? It doesn't even sound like they're in the same world I'm in. Well, this book will help you kind of walk That's through That's good. It. That's yeah. good. That's helpful. I, I like Kingdom of the Cults. 
I think uh, oh, that, yeah. it's kind of a textbook. That, that is a good one, though. If you're in a seminary. I think I read both of those in the same class, honestly. Yeah, if you take a world religions class in yeah. seminary, you'll read those. Uh, but those read, are actually good ones. I enjoyed yeah. reading them. Yeah. yeah, and they help you because a lot of times we look at other cultures. And, you know, we, we announced or said last week on the podcast that I'm moving to France uh soon as a, a missionary but by like tuesday right no um in a year no. but we look we look at these other cultures and we look at their beliefs and we think wow how weird so understanding kind of the rationale behind uh you know a lot of like uh all other belief systems is very helpful never forget paul and the areopagus yeah he, he talked their language he knew what they believed it's important for us to yeah. not 17. just be blind to what to what other people believe but to to engage them. Yep. So uh, for this week, your homework is to read Act 17. That might help you. And those two textbooks. Yeah. Read both, those two textbooks. Uh, write a report. And then uh, <laughs> since we're in the age of Corona, you're probably doing online school. Post two <laughs> times in a forum and then respond. No. Anyway, that's, yeah, that's great. That was uh, you complaining right there. No, I'm Good not complaining. If, our, if my professor's listening. Uh, that's right. I love it. It's so great. Um, that being said, I'm so glad that we got to talk about this and that we're getting to talk about this. We're going to continue our series unless something more pressing comes up, which it may. If, if, if it does, email us, gooddoctrinepodcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can join our Facebook group and join the conversation there. Mostly it's just a bunch of yelling and screeching, but it's great. <laughs> it's great, too. Um, we posted memes one time. That was Yeah, I think that, I think that I've been trying to meme it. Yeah. M- meme Your it. memes reach more people than our uh, biblical exegesis, so I whatever. Know, that's right. Uh, anyway, yeah, in the, get us in out the meantime, here. hope you'll join us next week. We do pray that your good doctrine will establish good living. Mm-hmm.